0: Right, we are going to get straight into it, so once I've done some manoeuvring, we're going to read this passage together, and then I will pray. So here we go, it says, this is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we're just going to focus on one verse this morning, but we're going to read this whole section, which we've been working through over the last few weeks. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all being saved. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your church, the people of God, uh, as it says, the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, with Christ as the head, us as the body together. We thank you for this mystical union you've called us into as your people. We're not just a group or a clan or a clump or just a bunch of people that share the same belief system. We're all here because you've called us here. You've united us together by your spirit. You've sent, an, sent us out into your world on, to fulfill your mission. Uh, more than anything else you've lavished us with your grace and love poured out on us and we want to respond to you not because we have to but because we want to we want to follow you now with all of our lives we want to live our lives as acts of worship to you day by day and we can only do that by your power so we ask Holy Spirit be working amongst us Uh, open our hearts again to hear from you speak to us Uh, be working amongst us, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're just going to focus on one of these verses this morning. Actually, no, two. I'll tell fib. 44 to 45. It says, all who believe were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, If you've lived here in Amsterdam for any sort of time, you'll know the experience on like a... It depends on which area of the city you live in, but around here where this building is, I think it's a Friday morning. If you go hunting out on the streets, there's just stuff everywhere, right, where people have cleared out their apartments of belongings that they don't want anymore, furniture, tables, kitchen appliances, and they just put them on the street for the Clemente to come and take away. And if you're quick in time and you get out before anyone else, you can pick up a few bargains. Has anyone done that, taking some furniture off the streets? Yeah. We got a great Ikea Poang chair that I saw cycling back from the kids' school, so I just managed to sling it over my shoulder and somehow somehow cycle home. And Joe had to kind of catch me as I was falling off with this chair into her, into her arms. But it's one of the benefits of... I've never experienced it in any other place I've lived. I don't know if it's unique just to Amsterdam or the Netherlands as a whole, but if you get it right, you can pick up some pretty good bargains. Um, and maybe these verses sound sound a little bit like that. You know, the Apostle Peter has just kind of refitted his kitchen and has got some things he wants to get rid of. Some of the disciples have got some old IKEA excess that they want to move on to the next people. But actually, there's something much more deeper and profound going on here. And I hope when you even read these verses, or when I've read them to you just now, hopefully there's something inside all of us that kind of, there's a bit of a gulp, like, oh, wow. That's a big commitment that they're making to one another. Something has happened with this group of people deep within their hearts. Something profound has happened. Because it would have to happen to you for you to think like this. I'm going to sell my possessions. Maybe not all your possessions, but at least some of them. So I can give the money to the people in need, to the poor. I'm going to have the attitude that with. The friends that God's put around me in this community, I'm just going to share. Not just the things that I don't want anymore, the things that we kind of don't have any space for anymore in our house, but even the good stuff that I kind of need and that, you know, I like. I'm going to share that as well. And for all of us, that should be, there should be something within us, I hope, that kind of says, oh, wow, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and, and all through this, this passage that we're looking at over these the last few weeks and a few weeks to come, we get this, this portrait, this, this picture of what God's new community, this restored community of believers, what it looks like. We get to kind of look behind the curtain and see what their life was really, was really like. And there's, if you wanna go behind the scenes of someone's life, if you wanna really understand not what just they say or what their social media profiles say about them, but if you really want to see what someone values, what they really think is important, the best place to look is in is probably in their bank account, right? <laughs> look in their wallet. See what people do with their money. When you see what people do with their money, you begin to see a picture of what they really value. What people do with their possessions, the things that they really value, when they start giving those things away, you think, wow, something really radical has happened here for these people these people to think like this, and in this passage we see this really deep sense of community, this radical community, and there's two things in particular we see in this passage. First of all, this real deep, deep friendship, that it was, they didn't just love each other as in they they said they loved each other, and they knew how to give each other good kind of, you know, Christian hugs. There was a real tangible, like noticeable love where they were willing to share their possessions, their belongings with one another. That's a real deep friendship that we get to see. And that's that's always been God's plan for his community. If you go all the way back through the the Old Testament, even if you go to the, the Exodus story, see how God provided manna from heaven and he told them to share it with one another. And he only gave them enough for that day and when they started stockpiling it up to try and hoard it, it would, it would go rotten and moldy and ruin. He gave them just enough for each other and just enough to, to share with one another. It's always been God's plan that we would live a life of sharing and care for one another. And in, 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 in our marriage, in our family, we've seen this generosity play out so many different times where people have just put Envelopes full of cash through our door, or where people have given us bikes and cars. Um, some, one time, someone just gave us a, a box set DVD series. You know, when, before Netflix, when people had DVDs, it shows how long we've been married. But people would lavished all sorts of gifts on us, and it, it was it was just this wonderful generosity. That that's that's what it should be should be like to be part of the community of God, that when we see a fellow believer in need, we think, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna solve that problem as best as I can. When we see just uh, our friends needing something, we, just, we, we act, we move, we, we do something about it. And it's, one of the wonderful things is that in this community here, we see this happening all the time. It's one of the real privileges of getting to, to be one of the leaders in this church that we get to see this happen not because anyone's told people to, but people are just sharing and caring for one another and looking out for one another. That's a really beautiful mark of what God's doing in a, in a community. So we see this deep friendship and we see this real deep love and heart for the poor. Again, there's a, in, in our world today it's, it's very common to be passionate about injustice and inequality Making sure the downtrodden uh, are lifted out—it's a, a popular thing, all around our culture that people think is important. But the reality is, a lot, a lot, not many people actually do anything about it, other than share a picture on Twitter or whatever, or get in an argumentative conversation with someone at work about it. Most people don't really do an awful lot about it. And maybe that's true for you. Maybe you think, oh, do you know, what? I'm not really sure. The last time we really did anything tangible, anything real, to help people who are less, uh, less, um, you know, well off or whatever, uh, uh, you, however you describe it as as you are, we don't often do that sort of thing. But here we see this wonderful heart for the poor, which it kind of comes. This is this is not just that they've this particular group of people. Were, were somehow different that they really valued the poor, but not you know some other churches don't, and that's okay. What they're reflecting here is is kind of Jesus' mission statement, his heart. So Jesus said this in uh, in Luke four. He's talking about when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So, as in the uh, gathering or like we're doing today. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, which is in the Old Testament. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is part of, What Jesus came to do, part of his mission statement was to bring liberty to the captives, to the oppressed, to the poor. It's part of the reason we named our church Liberty Church, because we want to see people set free in their hearts by the gospel, by the message of Jesus. But that also has a practical reality that we want to see the oppressed set free, the voiceless in our city who no one stands up for them. We wanna see those people set free. And we, we don't, uh, to be honest, as a church, at the moment, we're not doing an awful lot about it, but we should, and we will, because this is Jesus' mission. And not just organizationally, but individually, we should take this seriously. People around you that are needy, or poor, what, what, can you, what can you do about this? This is Jesus' mission. And the church, the people of God, should, should carry these two tangible distinctives, a profound and deep love and friendship for one another, but also looking out to the world around them, to those in need around them. A love that doesn't just uh, talk about it, but actually, actually does something. And it, this, this might all sound very, very easy, well of course, Hopefully this should all, in a way, kind of make sense to us. We think, oh yeah, well, of course we should. Um, and if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, you probably think, well, of, of, course. of course. Everyone should do this sort of thing. We should all you know, love people around us and we should look after those who are needy. Of course we should. You know, in 2005, there was the big campaign, Make Poverty History. But that was, what, you know, 13 years ago now. And the reality is that, that probably helped probably helped quite a lot of people quite significantly, but there's still many people in poverty. There just are. Probably at least a billion people around the world, at least. In our city, people in dire need, who, are, who need someone to, to step in where they're not able to. And we could try and, the thing is with that campaign is that it was a protest against what was the G7 at the time, the, some of the, the main countries, governments, and it was saying, right, governments, those in power and authority, they need to do something. And that we could ask, well, who's to blame? Who should work? Who should try and do something? And we could talk about big corporations, governments. We should say those people need to take responsibility. And, and they should, shouldn't they? They should. We, government should take responsibility. Corporations should care for people, even their own employees, but beyond that as well, they should. But the thing is that Jesus doesn't necessarily Um, lay the responsibility at at their feet. He he lays it really at at our feet. At the feet of the church. He says to us, well, what are we going to do about it? Because in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has uh, sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost to usher in his new kingdom, to declare him as king over this new society that he's building. And part of the distinctives of that is Jesus saying to us, what what are we going to do about it? There's a wonderful passage in in 1 John which says this, by this we know love, I'm sure we all know this verse, by this we know love, that he lay down his life for us. We could all say yes, amen. But then it goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Just those words sink into your heart, because that's where it needs to go. (laughs) Deep into our hearts for us to think, goodness, if the love of Jesus really abides in me, then, then I need to respond. I need to love the people around me, not just with my words, but with my deeds, with my actions, with, with my wallet, with my bank account. And it sounds, on one hand, challenging, but also practically, it, it can sound quite simple. Because you think, oh, of course, of, of course we should. But yet all of us will know All of us will know we might think this is right, but there's something within us that wrestles with this. That when it comes to the crunch, we think, ah, not sure really I can, if we're completely honest. There's this battle each one of us has in our heart, in our in our soul. And to try and explain that, let's go back to Jesus in Matthew 19. This is Jesus having a conversation with someone who's described as a rich young ruler. It says, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, because the issue is it's, it's not economic systems, although you know, perhaps they need to be fixed, or corrupt governments, which also need to be fixed, or evil corporations. The real issue, the real problem, and the problem with those organizations is there's a rebellion in our hearts. There's something that's there's a wrestle, a battle within us where money and greed, the Bible talks about it as, as, an, as an idol, as a, a force guard competing for your attention. And one of the most dangerous forces, one of the most dangerous powers in the world around us is, is that, it's money, it's possessions. That's one of the things we should be most wary about. It's the power that that can have over our lives, how that can dictate how we feel, how we act, what we do. We can be so driven by our money, our possessions. And Jesus taught us, he calls it mammon. He says it's a god. And he talks about it as a, as a jealous god. And that's why Jesus speaks so directly to this young man, and Jesus' words might offend you, but he's talking directly to him because he's calling out this idol in his life. He's saying to him, there's, there's this idol, with, there's another God within you, and you can't serve that God and me. You can't. That's what he's, he's, he's pointing out in harsh language, and sometimes we need to hear the same language. Because Jesus said this in Matthew six no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I don't know if you've ever had a, a job where somehow in your job you've ended up with two two people who have authority over you. You know, maybe a line manager or but maybe their boss sometimes likes to get involved as well. I don't know if you've ever had it where you have contradicting instructions. Or you might, you might know this as a parent, where one of your kids uh, brings up an issue and one of you says one thing and one of you says something contradictory, right? And your child doesn't really know what to do, so they just pick, okay, well, who's, who's giving me the best advice? I'll just follow that one. And that can be the same. If you've ever been in a workplace and you've got two people giving you instructions, what do you what do? You do? If you've got two people who are in authority saying, you do, do this over here, and someone else says you do that over there, you have to pick. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. This this mammon, this idol of money and possessions is always going to be calling you in one direction. And it's not the way that Jesus wants you to go. So you have to make a decision in your heart. Wh- which one am I going to serve? Which one will I follow? And maybe this sounds a bit ludicrous to you. You know, money's a gift. It doesn't necessarily need to be an, an evil thing. Money can be a blessing to us if we know how to use it. But maybe you're aware of these kind of tentacles that have got a grip on you. Maybe you, you're constantly feeling anxious about money all the time. It's just it's nagging away at you all the time. Every time you buy something, oh, goodness, you get this welling up inside you of of almost like a sense of guilt, like um, should I be spending this money, is this the right thing to do? Maybe you, you've always felt, when, when, I, when I earn this much money, that, then I'll be okay. And if you noticed, you then, you get to that level of salary and you actually realise that you need a bit more. So you think, well when I get to this level, I'll be okay. When I get that promotion, when this thing works out, when I get that inheritance, When that thing comes through from me, where I get that tax rebate, then I'll be okay. But it keeps escalating up and up all the time. You never find freedom from it. Because all the time you're thinking, you're trusting that the money will give you freedom. That at one point, at one time in your life, you'll have enough money so you'll feel free. And you won't. Because it's a false guard. It's this evil master that's drawing you astray and it sucks you in and it leads you on this life journey of always pursuing more and more and more and it won't satisfy you, it will let you down. Maybe it's more about possessions. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of feeling inside where you've been looking forward to getting this, this new device Maybe it's a new item of clothing, and then when you get it, you're so excited and you unwrap it, and then you notice within a few days or a few weeks, maybe a few hours, you realize it, it didn't quite make the difference that you thought it would, <laughs> because we put our trust in these things, that somehow this is going give to me, give me a peace, or this item of clothing is going to give me this new self-confidence. And it maybe lasts for a bit, but then it soon washes away and you need something else. Another possession, another item, another thing to kind of get that, hit that fix within you. And ultimately they don't work, they let you down. This thing has a grip on you. And all those things in the end, they stop us serving God and they stop us doing what this passage is all about. Maybe that's why some of you read that passage and thought, well that's just unrealistic because you're serving the wrong master. It's got, it's got a grip on you. So the idea of, of selling your possessions to give money to the poor seems almost offensive, because you, you are. That God within you is offended. But the answer, the answer to this issue of perhaps why we don't live like that, is it's, it's not, it's not a new command. It's not, it's not a new instruction, a new initiative. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you a, a guilt trip this morning. I wanna speak directly to you, but I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, or ashamed, or embarrassed. Because that won't work, will it? <laughs> because again, we've all known those times where we've felt a pang of guilt, so we've done something. We've seen the TV appeal asking for us to give money to people in a country far away who are in famine or crisis. And we feel that sense of, oh goodness, I must do something. And we do one small thing and then it, out of motivated by guilt, and then it kind of washes away. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to give you a, that sense because this passage, what's happening in this community, this isn't like communism, right? It's not like where they're told everybody has to be equal, everybody has to share everything. They're not compelled to do this, that they want to do this. There's a story in I think Acts 4 or 5 where one guy, he takes this so literally, this selling his possessions and giving money away, he sells an entire field, which in the ancient world in biblical times, selling a field would have been a huge statement. I mean if you think about it today, if you had a field that was uh, that's a significant amount of land. You could build a lot of houses on there and make a lot of money. And he, he gave it away. But not because he had to, but because he actually wanted to. What, what, was, what was driving him was not just to try and save face or just because everyone else was doing it and he felt he had to, but there was something inside of him. This deep, profound Love provoked him to do this, that moved him to, to do this. Because this isn't about a new command. You know, we here we don't, we don't really talk about um, the idea of, of, of giving a, a 10% tithe. It's a pretty good principle to have. But actually in many ways it's just, that's just a start. We often say here when we talk about money on a Sunday, we say look, um, it's not for, not for people who are new. If you're just passing through, we're not after your money. But actually, it's true for, for all of us. We're not making a demand on anybody. We're not saying if you give your 10%, you can be part of the community, and if you don't, you're out. We're saying <laughs> when you commit to give your money away into the kingdom of God, God blesses you. He does good to you. Partly because what happens is Every time you give money away, you're you're kind of slowly killing that idol in your life. That thing that has a grip on you, that master that's driving you astray, every time you give money away, you you, you loosen its hold on your life and brings a wonderful freedom. So we don't necessarily talk about 10%, it's a good principle, but for many people that will just be the beginning. Many people, it might be that God blesses you that you can give more and more and more and more. Or maybe you're just not in a position to do that at the moment. That's completely fine. We're not after your money. What, what Jesus is after is your heart. That's the battle at play here. And by giving money away, you get, to, you get to kind of stamp on that idol. You get to crush its head and decide in a very active, tangible way that you want to give your money to something else. And it's, it's also, it's, it's not a new command and it doesn't come from wealth either because we can get into that thinking, well, yes, one day I'm going to be generous when I can afford to, when I've got the money to give it all away. But actually, a lot of the stories the Bible highlights about people who are generous, sometimes it's people who are wealthy, but often it's very poor, very humble people who the Bible particularly holds up and praises and highlights and says, look what they did. Out of their poverty, they gave money away. There's a wonderful story in, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, which I'll read to you now. It says, this is Paul speaking here to the, the, the church in Corinth. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So these are some churches in, a, in, a, in another part of the the world in an area called Macedonia. So, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So out of their extreme poverty, they gave away. And Paul goes on to say, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So they gave more than they were able to give. They didn't just say, well, I've got this much money, I'll put this much in the pot. They gave more of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So you get this impression of of even Paul and the other leaders have said, "Oh, there's an issue over here. We need the churches to help out this relief where there's a church in difficulty. So all their churches gave money into it. But with this particular church in Macedonia, it was like they, all, they had to beg Paul that they could get involved. Paul was almost saying, no, 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 you've, you, you, you guys are in poverty, you don't have to. But they were so desperate to join him with the mission of God because there was this radical generosity because the gospel, the message of Jesus had come into their hearts and reorientated it completely shifted it around. That's what happens when the love of God comes and penetrates into your heart, is it makes you do things that are sometimes even a bit illogical. You think, well, I can't really afford to do that, but I want to, because I want to bless these people. I remember being in a church in Manchester in the northwest of England a few years ago, in a very poor area of the city, and there were these two Ladies who who got up and talked about how they'd, I think they'd done done like a cake sale. They'd made cakes and sold them. And I can't remember how much money they raised. It wasn't a huge amount, but for them it was an extraordinary amount of money because they were both unemployed. And the pastor explained to me afterwards that they, they weren't just unemployed, they were generationally unemployed. As in, their parents were unemployed and they'd been unemployed all of their life. These were women probably in their 40s. Um, and the most, he said, what normally happens in areas of the city like this is this, this unemployment just goes from generation to generation. He said, unless God does something, their kids will probably be unemployed as well. And yet out of that, they, they, there was a, they were, the church was giving some money to a, some churches in, a, a, in another country that was incredibly needy. So these two women baked these cakes and sold them. And they didn't say, well, we're unemployed, so we'll take 50% and we'll give 50% away. They just gave it all away. Just out of their extreme kind of multi-generational poverty, they just gave it all away. And it, was, it, was a, it wasn't a big amount, but the whole church was just, wow, <laughs> what, what has God done in their life that motivates them to do something? And Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, he talks about this radical generosity is really an act of grace. Uh, he says, but as you excel in everything, as you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, in your love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's reflecting on this story of them giving money away. They, they excelled in this act of grace. And we get to excel in that as well. When the love of Jesus comes and penetrates our heart and again we do that not because we feel guilty but because we have a a savior who's given so much for us because this is how Paul carries on his argument he says in verse nine for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, with all the riches of heaven at his disposal, he humbled himself, and he, he took on spiritual poverty so that we might be rich. It wasn't just out of his riches he, he kind of lent us some riches. You know, He didn't just give us 10% or 20%. He gave it all away. He laid his life down for us. That's radical generosity. All the riches of heaven he laid aside and poured out his life for us and that in in his poverty, we become rich. We become rich. In a spiritual sense, if you're a believer, you've never been richer than you are right now. Isn't that amazing? It's what God does for us. It says in, in Philippians, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It says in Ephesians, In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Why don't we just stand to our feet and let me pray. Jesus, we we thank you that now as believers in you, we, we don't deserve these riches. We don't. But yet yeah, your, your grace gives us what we don't deserve. It gives us everything we need, none of which we deserve. It pours it out, it lavishes all of that on us. And not just, you don't just kind of give us enough to get by. You don't just sort of give us enough to see us through to the end of the month. Just to get us out of the red into the black you give us these immeasurable riches of the kingdom of heaven poured out on us. And not because of anything we've done or deserve. And Jesus, oh, I, I want that truth to penetrate right into my soul. That when I see those in need around me, I don't make decisions of what I can afford or what seems reasonable. I think, how how can I lavishly bless these people? If you've so chosen to give me earthly riches, Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, help me to, to pour those out on others the same way you've poured out your love on us. Thank you for your completely unselfish love. I pray you'd help us to love each other unselfishly, not putting ourselves first, but putting others first all of the time, because that's how you've loved us. Jesus, I just pray for anyone here who, who knows that wrestle in their heart of those two masters, of that false god, that idol of money and possessions that's drawing them astray, but all the time is tempting them and leading them and causing them anxiety and worry and fear I pray by your grace, you just come and set them free this morning. That they would know that true freedom, true liberty is not found in having a full bank account or having enough possessions or a big house or a nice car, but it's found in you, it's found in you. That's where we find satisfaction and fulfillment. Not in having the best job and the best career, the best looking kids, it's found in you, Jesus. I pray that as we sing, as we worship now, you'd lift our hearts to you. Remind us of the riches we have in you, Jesus. Amen.